Hi, everybody. It's really good to be here with you. Why don't you get your Bibles out, and we'll get right to it. 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. And so if you'll take your Bible and your message notes, and, and we'll begin to, uh, to look at that. Let's, uh, let's pray before we begin. Father, would you give us revelation and illumination? Would you change our hearts because of your word and because of your spirit? Would you just flow in the room and speak your words of life into us and then give us the grace to obey? We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you know, yesterday was Thanksgiving. Or Thanksgiving. Wow. I was thankful for it. I was thankful for my Valentine. Can we start again? Now, you know, yesterday was Valentine's Day. <laughs> and uh, it was a, it, Valentine's Day is a, a weird holiday. I don't know, it's not even an official holiday, but in our culture, everybody, like, is kind of obsessed about it. Everybody's like, like, okay, so what are you doing for Valentine's Day? And you either love Valentine's Day or you loathe it. <laughs> you hate it because everybody's talking about it and, and you're in misery because you don't have that one to love. And so I was thinking about it this week, and I, I was doing a little research, and I, I, I read that the average person spends $142 uh, each Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, some of you are like amateurs. Others of you are like, what? $142? What in the world? Yeah, so um, so I thought that was an interesting stat. I was listening to the radio this week, and I heard, I was, <laughs> I was listening to NPR, actually, and they were telling, doing this story about this website called, uh, see, myinvisibleboyfriend.com. <laughs> myinvisiblegirlfriend.com. It's a site where you go on it and you create your own boyfriend or girlfriend. You create it like, like, like it's a virtual boyfriend or girlfriend that texts you. Yeah, yeah, that texts you and, and sends you emails and, and, you know, it's a service, right? It's like they, 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 they and so they, they <laughs> this is crazy. This guy, he thought of it because he, he was around all these people who hated everybody asking, you know, your parents, when are you, you, know, you going to get married or, or do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And, and all, these, all these conversations happen around people and you get sick of them. They just want to say, yeah, I got a boyfriend. Oh, here he is. He's texting me right now. <laughs> so it's a site that, lie, that, that, uh, that, that contributes to your lie to everyone else. And so you, but you get to create it like their personality, how they interact with you. So it's like a, it's like a live person. It's an online service. This is the amazing thing. This company has 500 employees. Yeah, they got to have people to respond to all the messages because there's 50,000 virtual boyfriends and girlfriends. 50,000 invisible boyfriends and girlfriends. And they're growing. It's crazy. I mean, I, okay, so are people just so desperate for love that they'll create a fake person to give it to them? I mean, is that what's going on? 
what is this that we're dealing with? It's so crazy. And so I thought this was might be a good Sunday just to talk about love. You know, just to, just to talk about love a little bit, talk about marriage, maybe talk about what it means to look for the right spouse. And so, you know, marriage is supposed to be all about love, um, but it, it often is about so many other things. <laughs> and, uh, and, and many of those are, are good things. Many of those are, are, are difficult things. But, um, you know, marriage has kind of uh, really had a hard time over the last uh, 30, 40, 50 years. In 1930, 83% of the adult population was married. 83% in our, in our country. Uh, today, that's at 49%. 49% of the adult population are married. And so uh, marriage has kind of taken a beating. I mean, we, we, it, the, the rise of the divorce rate and, and, and just people's, you know, as, as they, their fe- they fear it. Um, they are, they're disenfranchised by it. They, 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 they resist it. Um, they hear the story of their parents and they don't want to be like their parents. So there's a, there's a thing here going on in our culture about love and about marriage. And so yesterday at the marriage conference, you know, I heard uh, Jimmy Evans say so many great things. If you have a chance to listen to Jimmy Evans or uh, read one of their books, um, Jimmy and Karen Evans from Marriage Today, really great material. I, I recommend them. But he said this, he said, marriage is the safest relationship that you can have. Wow, this marriage is the safest relationship we can have. I, I, I think that our culture doesn't believe that. I think even we as God's people, I mean, this is, I think this is what the scripture teaches, that marriage is the safest relationship you can have. That we, I'm not sure we believe it. And so we got work to do on this idea of love and what it looks like. And so... Look at 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read this together. And it says, Dear friends, in verse 7, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So who is he telling us we should love? Wait, who? Come on, wake up. One another. And, And where does love come from? Okay, so love comes from God. And so we should love one another. He says, everyone who loves has been born. Wait a minute. Everyone who loves who? Everyone who loves one another has been born of God and knows God. Loving one another actually helps you know God. Knowing God actually helps you love each other. Right? That's what he's saying. Whoever does not love does not, wait, whoever does not love who? Whoever does not love one another does not know God because God is love. God is himself love. What he's saying here is we are defined by this idea as God's people. The thing that defines God is love. It is his essence. It is what he is is made of. It, It is his nature. There is something about him that, that not, not just dispenses love and gives it away, but he is the source of it. 
And, and as his people, we're called to reflect that very same idea. Love fills our hearts because of him. And then we're able to share it with another person. Verse 9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Just pause right here for a, a brief statement. I don't think people really live unless they're loved. I don't think people really live unless they know how to love another. I think people are always trying to find somebody to love them, and they're always trying to figure out who they can, they can love. But life really is defined around this idea. He says, this, this is how God showed his love among, uh, among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Here he's going to define it. Ready? He says, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Check this out. He's saying to us, I loved you first. You didn't love me first. This is love. I gave it to you first. This is love. You were unlovely, and I loved you. You got, you got hang-ups, and I loved you. You were dirty and shamed with sin, and I loved you. Now, what he's saying to us is, now, you got to be the same way with other people. you got to love them before they're all cleaned up. you got to love them just the way they are. This is, this is love. God sent his son you didn't love him first. He loved you first. And now this is how we love others. We love them before they're all put together. We love them even though they're broken. We love them even though they're not sure who they are. Verse 11 says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. What this essentially means is, is that the way that people really get to see who God is, no one gets to see him unless they see him through your love, through our love, through the love that we share with others. When we love, when we love people well, what happens is People get to see God. He lives in us. He inhabits us. And then it overflows and pours out into others. And, and it makes us complete. And it shares his love with others. If we want to define it, we, want, we would say something like, love is living for another person's good. Love is living for another person's good. It's not just thinking about your good. It's not just thinking about what I want. It's living for another person and what they really need. It's living for their good. It's giving your life away for the good of another, even at great personal cost. That's what parents do with children. They give their life away, and it's at great personal cost for them, but it's worth it. They love their children. Love is about giving, it's about serving, it's about enjoying, it's about surrendering, it's about sacrificing. It's about another person, not about, not about what you necessarily want. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. The opposite of love is selfishness. You're consumed with yourself. People who are consumed with themselves, hey, check this out. People who are consumed with themselves and selfish are that way for a reason. 
for a reason. They're often hurt. They're often wounded. They've, dis they've done things that are foolish. People have done foolish and terrible, violating things to them, and they're hurt, and they become self-absorbed self because they're trying to protect themselves. They become defensive. All I'm saying is that we're called to love people just the way they are. But if you understand that they're the way they are for a reason, some of the reasons aren't good. Some of them are horrible things. But if you understand everybody's the way they are for a reason, you can love them with compassion. You can love them with empathy. This is what we're called to do as God's people. Hurt people hurt people, right? They do. They're hurt. They're wounded. They hurt others. Selfish people don't know how to love. They don't know how to give. They don't know how to uh, offer themselves. They know how to take. They know how to consume. They often know how to lust. Lust is taking for yourself what you want from others regardless of the cost. Lust is taking what you want. Consuming something without moral constraint. Lust is about me and what I desire. And our society is full of this idea that we can't control our love. You can't help who you fall in love with. You know, it's just like you're walking along one day and you just like trip into it. It's like you fall into a pit of love. I'm, a, I'm surrounded by a pit of love. I can't, I can't get out. I'm just falling into love. You can't help who you love. This is a, that, that love is somehow fickle. That I can fall in love with you and then I can fall out of love with you. If God is love, it can't be fickle. If God is love, it doesn't change. He doesn't change. Love is something beyond this emotional experience that we have, some unpredictable and crazy butterflies in our stomach. It's beyond that, right? It's the, the, the people who describe this, they're not describing love, they're often describing lust. But love is a decision that we make about another person. It's a decision we make about sacrifice and giving ourselves, surrendering our lives for the sake of another. Most, most people don't treat, treat marriage with this kind of love and respect. They expect to get something that will fulfill them and satisfy them, but they are not individually healthy enough or ready to offer themselves to another person. Jerry Maguire was wrong. We are not completed by another. Right? You complete me. No, it doesn't work that way. What the scriptures teach is we are only complete in Christ. We are made whole in Christ. Christ comes into our lives, makes us whole, heals us, delivers us, strengthens us, empowers us. That's why we need him. It's very difficult to love if you don't understand this, if you, if you haven't settled this, and, and so the question is, are, are we ready for loving relationships? And often we're not, because there's four needs that can only really be met by God's love. Four needs that can only be met by God's love. Here they are. Number one is acceptance. Acceptance, total acceptance. Total acceptance, right? That means somebody knows everything about you and still loves you. 
There's nothing better than that. I think God's love is limitless. It's very hard for another person to know every single thing about you. And that's why you have to have complete acceptance. You have to know that you're accepted by God before it really happens with anybody else. Nothing can separate you from it, Romans 8 says. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing in this life, nothing in this world, not even, hey, not even death can separate you from the love of God. That's how strong it is. That's how powerful it is. This kind of acceptance. Number two is identity. You can't really meet the need of identity without God's love. When you try to identify yourself by your relationship with someone else, that becomes a real problem. The one who created you is the only one who can tell you who you really are. That's what Psalm 139 talks about. Psalm 139 talks about God knowing you even before you were born. He knew you even in your mother's womb, and he knew every day that was coming. The one who created you is the only one who can tell you who you are. Number three, security. These are needs that really only God can meet. Security is, means this. I need to know that everything is going to be all right. I need to know that everything's going to be okay. We all want that. But sometimes we try to get it from another person. The only security in this life is from God. Psalm 91, that's what it says. It, it talks about through the, through the whole chapter. It begins with, um, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. In other words, he becomes your refuge and your strength and your fortress. He becomes the secure one that you can trust in. Everything's going to be all right. Listen, the, the idea of marriage is actually fraught with risk. You stand up and say vows. You don't know what's going to happen, which is why you say in sickness and in health. You say for richer or for poorer when you're standing up in front of the preacher and saying vows. Why are you saying these vows? Because you know that things could go crazy. You're not sure how this is all going to turn out. In fact, it's true that when you get married, you cannot be entirely secure in the fact that that person won't go through something where they may reject you. That's not a guarantee. The only one who will never reject you, the only one who will make you secure, is the one who made you. He's the only one you can hide in. The only security can come from him. Number four, purpose. Purpose. People... People need this. They, I, I, they, there's a reason that I'm alive. They want to know why they're alive. Listen, God knows you and designed you to accomplish his purpose. And his purpose is that you would know him. Right? His purpose is not just that you'd make him known to others. His purpose is that you would know him and then the love of, that he has for you would spill out into others and you'd make him known to them. Make no mistake, your purpose is not just to tell people. Your purpose is to know him. And once you figure that out, you have love filling your life. You have purpose. You have meaning. You have direction. But here's the problem. If we don't let Jesus meet these needs, if we don't trust Jesus to meet these needs, we will transfer them to people all around us. We'll transfer these needs to other people and we'll make them define us. We want them, we want, to, we want meaning to come from our relationship with them. 
We'll put demands on people that they cannot fulfill if we don't get our needs met by God. Hey, Jesus is the most faithful person you will ever meet. He is the most faithful person you will ever meet in your life. Everyone else will disappoint. Every other person in this world will disappoint you. Only Jesus himself is truly faithful. Even our spouses, even our good friends, they will disappoint. And you need to have the love of Christ living in you in order to love them because they're not perfect. We often have unrealistic expectations of our spouses or of other people, right? Unrealistic expectations. And then when, they, when something's going on with us, we're like, hey, chill out, man. Give us grace. But we have unrealistic expectations of them. And then, and then have you ever noticed that anyone who becomes overly attracted to each other, they become unattractive to each other? Right? Here's what I mean. Neediness creates unattractiveness. Right, have you ever, like, like some of you single people out here, you know, you, like a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they just like, 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 they want you. They need you. They want to be with you all the time. They want to text you every moment of the day. They want to be with you. They want to know what you're thinking. They want to know what you're doing. They just want to be near you. They want to be with you. Hey, what are you doing tonight? Hey, what are you thinking right now? Where are you? <laughs> People who are that needy become unattractive very quickly. People who are overly attracted to another person become unattractive. So there's no way for us to be the people that God wants us to be to love others without that neediness you know, consuming us, unless we really have God meeting our needs, basic, very base needs of who we are, that he accepts us, that he identifies us as his kids, that he, he, he wraps his loving arms around us and keeps us safe, that not even, hey, not even death can destroy us. That's what the Christian believes. That resurrection is possible. That he has a purpose but if I'm secure in God's love, I can love when you're not lonely, or when you're unlovely. I can love when you're unlovely. I, I can love you when you're broken. I have the strength to work through another person's weakness because I get my security and I get my acceptance and identity from God. And, and none of us can do this by ourselves. I like this phrase. Life is good with you, but I can live without you. The people who say, I can't live without you, they don't understand God's grace and God's love. I love my wife deeply. She is beautiful and wonderful and amazing, and I don't want to live without her, but I could if I had to. I want to tell a little story about our courtship because I love her now more than I have in 23 years. 23 years this summer. That's, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's pretty good. I, and, but listen, it took work. And it, it, it has taken work, and it still takes work. And, and I, I, was, I think I was pretty broken when I met her. 
I was about 22 years old when I met her, and she was such a cute little college co-ed. And we met because we were participating in the same music um, uh, ministry that was happening on campus at Oral Roberts University. I have a picture of me as a college student right here. It's my, my, my ORU ID. <laughs> Check that out. Is that, is that a good-looking hairdo or what? Look how thin my neck is. This is so weird. Um, and then ne next picture, I think there's a couple pictures. Here I am graduating college, right? That's getting my degree. Look at what a nice boy. And then keep going. Then there, oh, there we are. Now, by this time, we're dating. Uh, we're actually engaged, I think, at this point, right, babe? And when we graduated from college, and we're getting ready to get married in another couple of months, here's me. Um, oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> All I want to say is, uh, when I see this picture, I think, Rico Suave. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so funny. <laughs> I was so, um, I was so in love with this girl, but, but it didn't start very well. Cause I was kind of broken. I I I was um, I was afraid of commitment. My parents had divorced when I was seventeen, and and it had kind of thrown me for a loop. And I I was, I I didn't know how to commit really, cause I was fearful of what was, what might come, and the pain that might show up. And even though I was a Christian young man, I, I, I just didn't know how to navigate relationships. And, and so I, I ended up, um, you know, dating a lot of uh, girls and having a lot of friends. And I, I, I you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't an idiot necessarily, but I was, but, 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 but I dated a lot of girls. And so I, I was trying to find my, my way through this maze of defining myself and who I was. And I met Amy in that season. I, I, was, I was kind of quasi-dating another girl, and this was, my, this was my secret to my success, was never define it too directly. Don't you single people hate that? It's horrible. And, and I, I was, I, I mean, I, honestly, I didn't know exactly how to, how to manage myself because I was afraid of commitment, but then um, I was looking for love. And this happens to a lot of single people. It happened to a lot of married people. And so I, I met her, and, and I remember the first time I met her, it was like, oh my goodness. I was actually really officially dating another girl when I met her face-to-face, -face and we had a, a conversation. And I, I got to know her over the next couple years, and we got to a point where I was like, I am really interested in this girl, but I was afraid of the commitment. And we went through this little process, and she got really mad at me, uh, you know, in the journey. And I, <laughs> I still had, you know, these friends that were my friends. And, uh, and nothing official going on with Amy. And, and, and it all came down one day when they sh her and another girl showed up at my door. It was, it was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> they, they, I mean, it was just so ridiculous, and I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I felt like an idiot, and I, 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 it, it was a brokenness inside my soul to connect with another person but not to commit. And, and as, I, um, 
as I worked through that process, then I really wanted to be with Amy. But I didn't know how. And so I just ended up hurting her. And so we ended up separating when she went away on a missions trip and I was coming to Colorado to get a job. And, um, and I remember I reached out to her a couple of times and heard nothing. And then one day I received a letter in the mail. A letter. You remember what that is, don't you? <laughs> Where people actually wrote things and there was a stamp Right, a, a stamp, and I received it in the mail in an envelope, and I opened it up, and it was Amy saying, um, I, I, I don't want you to talk to me again. I don't want to ever hear from you again. Um, this isn't God's plan, and this isn't God's desire for us. And so um, now she tells the story that she wrote the letter through tears, right? But she wrote it. She wrote it because she was secure in herself, and I was not. And so she wrote it to me, and I remember the, the sense that I was, I was reading it, and I could feel my heart dropping out of my body, <laughs> like something is really wrong. Now, she told me not to contact her and not to communicate with her, right? You single people, here's a bit of coaching. When somebody tells you that, the first thing you do is not call them. <laughs> oh, she doesn't want me to talk to her. I know what I'll do. I'll contact her and talk to her. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> right? <laughs> don't, don't do the thing they're asking you not to do. That shows that you don't respect them. It also shows you don't trust God if you're a Christian. So I just had to settle it. I had some good coaching in my life at that moment, and, and I, I, I just settled it. Okay, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let this go, and I'm, I'm, it's going to be okay. And, but, but I couldn't, of course, I couldn't let it go in here. But I did contact her. I didn't contact her, and I started praying, kind of working on myself. I spent the whole first summer that we were apart and we weren't communicating, I was, <laughs> I was relinquishing my stranglehold on myself. I was letting go and I was getting all the demons out of me. I went to a Christian school and yes, there are demons there. And yes, they do attach to people. We all can get critters hanging around us and they'll whisper into your ear and they'll attach to you because of things you've done and things you've said and opportunities you've let come into your life. And so I spent the whole summer breaking those soul ties with other women breaking the connection with other people, emotionally becoming healthy. I, I began to pray through all that stuff and, and work through it all. And it was amazing what God was doing. And let, don't, don't underestimate this. God has the power and the strength. His love and his grace can really transform a person in a very short amount of time. It doesn't have to take years of therapy. You may have to have some therapy, but it doesn't have to take years of therapy before you understand the revelation that God loves you, and he's for you, and he's with you, and he's making you complete in and of yourself. So suddenly, uh, I realized I didn't really want to let her go. 
So I started planning and praying. And I started writing in a journal. I wrote in a journal, here it is. I wrote in a journal for 30, 30 days, uh, 45 days uh, that, that I, I was writing here. And, uh, and, and, I, and I collected all the paper and I put it in this little <laughs> ugly, yeah, it looks like a grandma thing, doesn't it? But in 1991, this was the best I could do. I went to an actual store where they sell uh, stuff. What is that stuff? Crafts and, and material. And I bought the material myself and the little padding that goes in it. And I put the padding over under the material and I bought this string and tied it together. <laughs> All the women are like, aww. All the guys are like, whipped. I was whipped and I didn't care. That's when you know it's real. I didn't care. I, 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 I had decided that God was working in my life so much that I had come to the place where I knew I could live without her, but I didn't want to. And so I made a plan. And I prayed through the plan and I decided I was going to go try to see her one time to see if there was any chance. And so I bought the tickets before I even her called her. Bought the tickets to go, to go see her. And I sent roses to her, huge um, collection of roses. And, and they were down on the, you know, when you walk into a dorm, everybody sees everything that's being delivered. And so everybody would see it. And I wrote on the card, true love conquers all. And I didn't sign it because I wanted her to think it was from me. I wanted to, I, I just, I didn't, I, I mean, there was no one else, right? We hadn't spoken in several months. And, and so I just, I just wrote it and then I called her that night. And she says that as soon as she heard my voice on the phone, she knew that it's okay. You can move forward. See, all of us, there, I, we talked about it yesterday. You can smell these things out if a person's okay, right? And so when, if you're worried as a single person that you're not gonna get the person that you really want, listen, what I have to say to you is get yourself right with Jesus. Get he as healed up in your heart and soul as you can and they will smell it from a thousand miles away. Now here's the cool thing, here's the cool thing. If, if they're not interested, somebody amazing will be. But you've got to have confidence that that's okay. That God knows you. That he's for you. That he's with you. That you're secure in him. And so, anyway, then to, to finish up the story really quick, there's a couple other really funny things. I had to win her parents over because they knew that I'd hurt her feelings. And so she, we, we sat there. I shared my, you know, I shared this little thing with her. And, and she read it and we cried through dinner and spoke about our love for one another, and it was just the best night ever. But then I had to win her parents, and so I, I was planned to go there for Christmas, so we went down for Christmas. I was driving with her. We drove up to the, to the house that she lives in, and I was going to meet her parents really 
I'd met them one other time at school, but this is where I was really going to meet her dad for the first time. And there on the garage is a sign as we pull up into the driveway that says, Welcome home, Amy, and what's his name? Welcome home, Amy, and what's his name? Now she says, oh, this is a good sign. Her dad was a Vietnam vet, two tours of duty in Vietnam. He was a tough guy. He'd been all messed up by alcoholism and then had gotten saved and became a pastor. And so he's a pastor, and, but he is hard nose. And uh, so, so we come in, and I start, I, we are going to spend a whole week with them. So we, we, I, we, I, we spend the week getting to know them, and I'm talking to them, and they're co- asking about my life and different things. And, and I tell her dad, I want to talk to you before I leave. <laughs> I didn't do that. But, 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 he, but he says, okay, come over to my office. So I go to his office, and it's, you know, church office, and he's sitting behind this big desk in his office. It's kind of like that scene in It's a Wonderful Life. You ever seen George Bailey, right? He goes and sees Mr. Potter, and he sits down in that chair, and it's like, I just was like such a child. And I was sitting there, I was like, really, I have enough money, and I love her a lot, and I really want to marry her. And I gave, I gave him this whole spiel, and he, he, said to the, he, he said this to me. He said, after we talked about some very uncomfortable subjects, <laughs> he said, let me pray about it. Now, here's the thing. I told him, I believe in spiritual authority. I believe that, that spiritually you're, you have authority over her life. So if you don't believe that I'm the right one for her, I'm not going to marry her. It's, it's your decision and not mine. And so I'll submit to you. He said, let me pray about it. 75 days later. (laughs) I'm not lying. 70, I did not hear from him for 75 days. I'm back in Colorado. I'm working at the church there. Um, You know, Amy's talking to her mom about what's going on. And her mom's like, it's going to be fine. Just relax. And so I remember the day that I got the call. And they said, Mr. Duncan's on the phone. I have never had this experience before or since. But I hyperventilated and almost passed out. I was so freaked out, and he, he said, okay, I, I, I'm calling to give you permission to marry my daughter, and I was like, thank you, <laughs> and he's like, I, I, was really, I was really mad at you, but then I remembered a bunch of the knucklehead things I did in college, <laughs> and I'm, I'm calling to tell you that um, you can ask for my daughter's hand in marriage, and then I... Um, and then I proposed to her, and then we got married. And it has been, it has been wonderful and difficult and challenging. When he died four, de- four years later, he died four years into our marriage, right around the birth of our second son, Taylor. And that was, a, that was such a painful time for us. We had to work through all this stuff that we hadn't really processed. And she had to work through all these things that, that it, she'd never thought she'd have to work through. Listen, there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees that it will be easy. 
But there are guarantees that you can experience the love of God and the grace of God and the security that he has and the strength that only he can provide. Because every marriage will go through some very difficult times. If you look at your, if you look at your outline, this is a terrible time to go to the outline. <laughs> but I have to wrap it up and I don't want you to leave without having these. There are five stages that every marriage goes through, and I want to talk about just one more thing before I go. Here's the five stages. Just put them all up there. Toluk, put them all up there. Just put them, keep going. Honeymoon stage. Oh, this is awesome. This is amazing. He's the best thing ever. I love him so much. And then very quickly followed by something called disillusionment. <laughs> disillusionment is, oh, my gosh, things are not as they should be. This is not how I planned it. This is not what I thought it would be. This is, this is something different. I don't know how to deal with this. Which is followed then at some point, maybe it can be a long time before this happens, but you hit rock bottom. Some people, they hit it very early in their marriage. Some people hit it very late in their marriage. But they finally come to a place where, oh, I don't think I can do this. And I've heard it a uh, hundred times. I just, I just can't do this anymore. I hear it every, about once a month from somebody in our church. I just can't do it anymore. Number four is something called re-engagement where you think to yourself, okay, I'm full of the love of God. I have everything he has. I'm his child. And even though this is bad, even though this is awful, even though this isn't working, I'm going to re-engage. I'm going to decide to love them. And what you're really deciding when that happens is I'm going to decide to love their unloveliness before they respond, which is what we read at the beginning in 1 John that God does for us. He loves us before we respond. So you re-engage, and that is followed then. Once you settle all of that, because when you know the worst thing about a person and you love them anyway, that's when you can live in true love. True love. And I want to say, this is the last thing I want to say. I'm not going to get through the whole outline, but I want to talk to all of you single people. Listen, there's a, there's a thing here that, that we have to wrestle through. I want to lift the dialogue about what it means to be single in our church and in our culture and in our day, in our city. I, I don't want us to. Um, I don't want us to make marriage a an idolatrous kind of thing because it is the top of every relational um, fulfillment because it includes sex. You know what that means? That means we've bought into the sexualizing of every relationship because listen, that's what we live in. We live in a, a culture that attaches sex to everything, and so any any attraction to another person, we immediately interpret it through the lens of sex. Do you know that we're called to be God's people who are attracted to each other because we love one another so much, but it's not sexual? That men are supposed to be really great friends because they connect without it getting weird, right? It's very meaningful, and for centuries, men have had these kind of relationships, but in our current cultural uh, um, uh, experience and in our cultural context, it's very hard for men to open up and be vulnerable with each other because they're afraid of the sex thing or the attraction thing or the interpretation thing. Listen, 
the dignity of singleness must be recaptured as a spiritual gift. Celibacy. Living for Christ. Some of you are like, I don't want that gift. Okay, 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 I get it. But you know what? There's no way around it. You, you've got to settle that God is your first relationship. That you are filled with his love. Here's what Paul said about it in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, he's, in fact, this is kind of the linchpin verse of the whole chapter. I don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but he says, and don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. The whole thing is a nuanced discussion about being single and being married and what's right from the Lord and what's not right. And he coaches them in certain sections of it. He says, this is me talking, not the Lord. Here's what I want to coach you in. And, and there's other places where he's saying, look, this is what the Lord says about this. The ultimate fulfillment for relationships only comes from God. <laughs> we, can't, we can't live in this, in this context. We can't understand that, or we can't embrace this idea that singleness is just a, sat, a status. <laughs> Single is not a status. It is a supernatural and surrendered state to Jesus. We define love and its depth based on something beyond attraction or, or, or sex. So, so here's the thing. Marriage is not just a method. It is a it's not a method of getting people together or of building a culture. It's a mysterious and meaningful miracle. There's something supernatural about it. Here's the final thing I want to say to you. Whether you're married or whether you're single, you've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of God's Spirit living in you is the only way you make it as a single person in this culture. The only way you make it as a, as a married person in this culture is you got to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. In, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, look, if you, you think you want to get married, but it's full of trouble. <laughs> there is nothing that shows your brokenness like getting that close to another person. You think it's all amazing. I just want to get married. And then you finally get married and you realize, whoa, wait a minute. This is work. There's no doubt it's fulfilling, it's wonderful there. But listen, I, wanna, I just want to raise the level of our discussion to ask this question. What does God want from me? And how do I live this life where I am, believing that God says I am who I am? That I have his love and his mercy and his grace functioning in my life and I have the power of the Holy Spirit who's keeping me from all harm. And even though I ache for a relationship I trust Jesus. That's what I want to challenge you to do. Close your eyes, bow your heads. And I just want you to ask the question, where do, where do you stand on all this? Maybe you're struggling in your marriage and it's gotten so bad, you're just ready to give up. Maybe you're a person who's not married, but you, you just can't quite get to the place. You're just needy. You're broken and you know it. And you need Jesus to touch you. Look, he can touch you in this moment and give you his power and his life and his love in this moment. And I want you to receive that. Receive it from him. He can heal a marriage in a moment. Now you'll have to walk it out, but you can make the decision in a moment because God spoke to you and gave you the capacity to love.
I want to challenge everyone in this room to just look at your own heart, look at where you are, and decide, okay, God, I love you, and I need your love. I've been broken, and I need you to work in me. I'm ready to meet someone, but only in your timing and in your grace. I'm ready to give up on my marriage, but I'm willing to surrender to you. I want you to pray about that while I'm praying for you, all right? Father, every person in this room, we all ask you to give us grace for where we are. Forgive us for taking things into our own hands, trying to be in control. Forgive us for the, the horrible things we've done, for the mistakes we've made. Forgive us, Lord. Heal our hearts. Cleanse us. Make us new. Give us revelation of, your, of what you want for us and, and in us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would heal people in this room right now. Heal marriages supernaturally. Come alive in them. Right now, all over this room, making the decision to try again, to re-engage, to believe that you can actually do a, a miracle in their lives. Even though they've been hurt, Lord, would you heal? Would you restore? Would you embrace? Would you pour your love into us? We thank you for this. We're grateful for it, grateful for forgiveness and grateful for your healing. We take it. We receive it now. We receive it, Lord. Do something. Do it. In Jesus' name, amen.